Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today will be Will Purdue, former Vanderbilt and Chicago Bulls basketball great. Will appears on the guest line. That is presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael is a local carpenter and a lifelong Vandy fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, and made-to-order items, including a display case for my prize Dale Murphy jersey. I've seen Michael's work. He's a true craftsman. If you are in the market for custom excuse me, custom woodwork, give Michael a call at 615-830-9458. Will appears on the guest line. That's presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call. That number 615-846-6200. 6200, see what your rights are and if they can help. Now on to our show with Will Purdue. Will Purdue joins us as he does most weeks. We're going to talk football to start. We'll get into some basketball maybe towards the end of the show. Will, thanks for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Well, Chris, thank you for having me. And listen, I'd like to start off by apologizing to those that uh, listen to this podcast. You know, I honestly would like to do it more. It's just now that the NBA season has started and you know, I've kind of been uh, busy with uh, my duties here in Chicago with the Chicago Bulls, but, you know, because of my love for Vanderbilt and, you know, what I'd like to see accomplished, you know, I still want to keep doing this when I can. Unfortunately, it's just not on a consistent weekly basis, but I do enjoy these conversations. Yeah, the the thing that I find is a common denominator with good guests, and this is true of Corey Chavis, too. I've had a lot of people have asking, why don't you have Corey on more? Uh, it, it's not for lack of desire. It's for lack of scheduling. And I know both of you were here and there and everywhere, and that's just how it goes. And I know our audience is just appreciative of the times uh, we're able to have you. I'll tell you a funny story. Corey called me this week, said he was, goodness, I can't remember where he was, but he was somewhere on the road and someone came up to him in an airport. They heard him talking and uh, said, my husband's a big fan of yours. He listens to the the podcast you do with Chris and, and really likes it. So uh, I'm sure you've heard the same thing from time to time. But uh, for a for kind of a small entity, I, I guess we've always been a, a pretty good-sized fish in a puddle or, or however you want to put it. But uh, it does get hurt <laughs> here and there. more And more than I know. Yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of funny you mentioned that because, um, you know, I'm not like, I'm on social media mostly for um, informative reasons, some entertainment, but, um, you know, I do see some of the, the tweets that people make as far as, you know, after they listen to the podcast or something of that nature. So, you know, I find that entertaining and I'm glad people enjoy it and, you know, we try to be informative. I try to give, you know, my unbiased opinion, but, you know, I think we all know where I lie. 
Yeah, and and to that, if people ever message me on social media, I do see those from time to time. I just find myself rarely on there anymore. So if anybody out there is listening that they've sent a question or a comment that I didn't respond to or I was late, uh, don't take it personally. I just have got so little time these days, and that's not a place I, to be honest, enjoy spending a lot of it. Right. All right, let's talk football. What did you take away of interest from the South Carolina game? Two words. Wasted opportunity. Um, I, I, I'd like to say that, and I, I don't break it down in the nth degree like the coaches do, but that was the first time, or should I say the first game this season where I walked away from watching a game that I just kind of felt like they hadn't made progress from the previous week. And I started to think, okay, as this team plateaued, is it, you know, is this what they are? I mean, we, we know, and here's the hard part. I don't want to say they don't have talent because they do. What they don't have is, is talented depth. I want to make sure that, you know, because I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. But it just, what we've now seen is, and this is amazing, how our expectations change, um, the fans' expectations change, the the coaches' expectations change, you know, the whole thing. And and the reason why I want to, clarify that statement is that they played Missouri on October 22nd. Okay. And lost by three and they missed a field goal. So you're just as disappointed as you are. You're like, listen, they're right there. And then if you want to look at the other side of the fence, you're like, yeah, but Missouri's not that good. Well, I mean, Missouri's done a pretty damn good job of competing this year. Yeah. Not necessarily winning a lot of games, but competing in the SEC, right? Almost Making beat their Georgia. Earn it. Yeah. But that's what we're talking about is, is, you know, Vanderbilt in a position where they're making their opponents earn it. I, I think they now, you know, listen, we can throw out the Old Miss, the Alabama, and the Georgia game, right? And unfortunately, I, you know, the disappointment of the Wake Forest game. But – I think, honestly, the the Wake Forest game was a wake-up call to where this team truly was at that time. So you're like, all right, let's see where we go. They beat Northern, lose to Alabama, lose to Ole Miss, lose to Georgia. You kind of expected that. You just didn't – to what degree would they lose? I hate to say that, but that's kind of the truth. And then you're like, okay, here's the the point, because I'll say this again. I predicted that they would win an SEC game this year. I'm still sticking to that, but it seems like their best opportunity out of the last three games between Kentucky, Florida, and Tennessee is this week against Kentucky. But this Kentucky game really scares me, and I'll get to that in a minute. But 
you know, I, as, as we went through, we looked at these games, I, I was seeing improvement, you know, and the South Carolina game was the first time that when I finished watching the game, and again, I had to watch it on, uh, I taped it and watched it. I just felt like every game there's wasted opportunities, but I just felt like this was the game where they did not take advantage of third down situations, just like Clark talked about. They did not take a, take advantage of South Carolina mistakes. Um, and I just thought that it was, I, I thought that honestly, South Carolina was trying to give them the game and they wouldn't take it. And to me, that's just a signal of, a, how much better they need to get, and, and that starts with recruiting. And B, just learning how to win when given an opportunity. You know, let me let me be very clear here. Let me preface what I'm about to say. I am in no way, shape, or form comparing the Vanderbilt Commodore football team to Tom Brady. Okay. But what I am going to talk mention is when given an opportunity, you grasp it and you take advantage of it. Think about, and I'll ask you, did you get a chance to watch the Buccaneer game over the weekend? I did not. My bandwidth for anything outside of my work, which is mostly Vanderbilt and the SEC is is very limited. I spent it on the Titans and the Braves, and of course, the Braves won't be playing again for <laughs> for a while. Yeah, you've exerted a lot of energy there. But, I have. I mean, we can honestly say that this game against the Rams, neither team played well, and the Buccaneers played even worse. I, mean, I don't want to get into explicitives, but it's just the it was, Tom Brady didn't look good. The offense didn't get good, look good. But what happened? At the end of the game, he was given an opportunity to be the hero again. And he did it. But my point is, is that that's, Tom Brady's a perfect example. As bad as the Buccaneers played for three and three-quarter quarters, they ended up winning the game, and a lot of people say, well, it's all up to Brady. Brady did it again, but, but yet, yes, he did. But the offense, the line still had to block for him. The guy still had to catch the passes, run the routes. But that it was, as they marched on the field, they had the confidence that they could do this because of one guy and his history and what he's done. And that's what Vanderbilt doesn't have right now is that guy that this team can really lean on and, and feel like that guy's going to take us down the field or the defense is going to make a stop or, you know what I mean? And they've got to figure that out. Now, that obviously comes with more talent, but I think as you see, you know, regardless of whether Swan plays or not the rest of the year, he has the potential to be a guy like that. Again, not Tom Brady but Tom Brady-ish in the sense of having some of those similar traits and qualities of, of, as a player. And as you continue to get better and deeper and more talented on both sides of the ball, now having that confidence as a unit 
when you step on the field that you can make that, that necessary stop. You can force your opponent to go three and out. You can, you can uh, push the ball down the field to kick the winning field goal, to score the winning touchdown. I know that's, that's saying a lot and that's asking a lot, but that's what, you know, Clark Lee and his staff are trying to accomplish it. You know, you have to put yourself in that position to where they truly believe. And I think that, listen, these, these kids are smart enough, especially now with social media and the way that people talk and how everything happens and, you know, information that they know that they, they can give like this weekend, they know that they can give Kentucky a run for their money. But they also know that their roof, their the margin for error is so, 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 so small that they can't afford to make mistakes. They can't afford to have timely penalties. They can't afford, you know, turnovers. They have to take advantage of Kentucky's mistakes. If the ball ends up on the ground, they have to get that turnover for a fumble. If they're in the red zone, they have to come away with points. You know, if they're going forward on fourth and one, they've got to find a way to keep the drive alive and keep the momentum going. And that's, you know, the little, you talk about the little internal battles that they're still fighting that a lot of programs aren't. You've had my mind wandering in a lot of directions. And so I wanted to just look up some things. I keep a chart of where some computers that I really like rank teams. And right now, Missouri and South Carolina are both top 50. No, barely. They both just squeaked in. Um, Of course, we know how good Georgia is. We know how good Alabama is. We know how good Tennessee is to come. And, And by the way, Kentucky's probably a little better than both those teams, according to the computers. Uh, Kentucky's uh, low 30s in what I'm looking at right now. It's really interesting. They don't have like a game. The teams they play, they played a – what do you call it? An FCS team in Elon. And then they played two of the worst Power 5 teams – not Power 5, FCS teams in Hawaii, which is probably a bottom five team – and Northern Illinois, which is probably one of the worst 20 or 25 teams. Like, there was not a litmus test in the middle, like within Indiana or Virginia, um, you know, a Fresno State, a Cal, a Marshall, somebody like that that would maybe provide an opportunity for a, a more realistic win to bite off. Now, that said, I thought they had an opportunity against South Carolina. I think a lot of Carolina stuff. I'm not going to say it's propped up on special teams because that's part of the game and they're great at it, but they have a habit of pulling out plays like that to cover some for some other deficiencies. Like I thought when they played Missouri, Missouri just had better athletes, and Carolina does too, uh, but I thought Missouri was really significantly better on defense uh, than Vanderbilt was, and it was Carolina too. And I thought Carolina was a chance for a win – if things broke their way, that always had to include turnovers, which Carolina was bad at. And Vanderbilt's been pretty good at turnovers. I think it's still plus one. And Carolina flipped the script on them, and, and, the, and the turnover margin was, what, three to one instead. Um, sorry for the rambling, but that's point That's point one. Um, there's, there's a second part. Oh, I know what it was. Uh, depth. Depth. You mentioned that early in your last comment. I went and looked this up while you were speaking. 
And Vanderbilt played 23 guys on defense, according to Pro Football Focus, and only 20 of those guys played 10 snaps or more. 14 of them played 20 snaps or more. I don't know that that's super unusual, but on offense, they really didn't sub much at all. In fact, they only played, let me look at this, I think maybe 18 or 19 guys. And it's interesting, they they played this time, rather than substitute on the offensive line, they didn't at all. In fact, I think they went the whole way with their same five offensive line starters they did. Yeah, they played 16 guys on the offensive side of the ball. So that makes for, what, 39 guys on offense and defense they played? Uh, that, that seems to me, I could be wrong, but maybe like one of the lower marks of the year. Right. And, it, and listen, it's, as you just pointed out, and let's, let's be honest here, to kind of go one step farther as we approach this Kentucky game. The Vanderbilt defense is amongst one of the worst, as far as rankings go, in college football. They're ranked 125th out of 131 teams in opponents' points per game, allowing 36.8. Now, and this is, I'll get into why this, this Kentucky game really scares me. Unfortunately, Kentucky's offense, or should we say fortunately at the moment, Kentucky's offense ranks among the lowest in the country, 97th out of 131 in points per game scored with 23.6. But since the old Miss game, they're scoring at an average of just 17.4 compared to the 31.2 when they had their 4-0 start. Okay, so... The other thing is that scares me is that their quarterback, is it Levis? Is that how you say it? That or is that correct. He, he got dinged up, but he's still playing. He himself has struggled. Okay, currently only throwing over uh, the last couple of games for basically 173 yards per game. When during that 4-0 start, he was throwing for almost 300 yards a game. I truly believe that Kentucky sees this as a get healthy game. Meaning if they can run the score up, they will. In the sense that get Levis back on track, let the ball fly, try to get one or two of their running backs with over a hundred yards rushing and just pile up the stats because they know that Vanderbilt's off defense, excuse me, struggles, right? And so I'm interested to see how the defense handles that challenge, how Coach Lee and his staff handle that challenge. Secondly, now you're down to one court. Well, you know, I heard you ask a specific question about Ken Seals. He's the backup. Will he get some minutes? I think he should. Will he? Hard to say, but I fully believe that as I've talked to some of my uh, SEC brethren that are former football players, they've all said the same thing. Kentucky's probably going to put nine in the box 
basically just go man to man on the edges, put a spy for Mike Wright, and basically just jam their foot on the gas and force him to throw the football and then see if he can throw it long. We know he can throw it long, but can he be accurate? And that's when you start thinking of it and you close your eyes and you think about all the games, you're like, oh, man, this is a recipe for disaster for this Vandy team. But that being said, because of how hard this team plays, I haven't really seen them give up. Um, I think it's indicative of, uh, and I apologize, I forgot his name, the kid that played hurt last week is now already at Bradley Ashmore. The fact that he even played the game. Yeah. Says a lot, not only about him, but what Clark Lee and this staff are building, because those are the type of players that every school needs, not just Vanderbilt, but Alabama needs them. Georgia needs them, you know, to, because again, that kind of is indicative of, he knew that his team had a real chance to beat South Carolina and he wanted to be part of that. And now they've, you know, the team and the, the medical staff has pulled a plug on him and said, all right, you're done. But the fact that he would even go out there to me says a lot about him and his teammates and the direction that this team is going. And the reason why I wanted to point that out is because now there's, um, you know, people are disappointed the expectations changed. You know, we won those games early. Um, and again, I'm one of them. I said, hey, we should, we should, and I fully believe we'll win an SEC game. You know, we got three left. Our best chance coming up. It may not happen. So then we're just like, I don't know so much about disappointed, but just deflated. Because then it's, it's kind of a, a slap in the face of reality of, you know, what's that one, one thing? Snap out of it. You know, it's just they've got a long yeah. way to go. They've got some. They've got some work to do. So, but you know, that's how your emotions can get the best of you because of what you want and what you hope and what you expect. So, you know, it's just, and and we were hoping that we would have more good games to talk about, or you know, close near misses to talk about. So I think that's just where the, that we are at the moment. And I think that's just where, you know, we still have to go. And I think we need to continue to focus on um, recruiting. And that, let me ask you this question. Considering Ole Miss, Georgia, Alabama, you know, missed opportunities against Missouri and South Carolina, has there really been in, in, any um, – I haven't seen it, and you would know more than I. Has there really been? Has there have there have any recruits jumped ship yet? Um, I'm trying to remember. I mean, they've had some who jumped ship, but sometimes that's uh, you know other things going on type thing. And, and I'm I've I've drawn a blank as you've asked me the question. I think they've had a couple of those where there were some other things in play. So I don't I don't know that it's related to anything they have done or haven't done, right? But I just I haven't seen like you know all of a sudden there's a, a 
all of a sudden you're seeing you know, uh, tweets and everything of I've decided to reopen my uh, recruitment. You know, I'm having second thoughts or, you know, that's going to happen to every team back and forth, you know, one or two here or there. But, you know, I just haven't seen that as far as, you know, everybody's jumping ship because it's, it's, it hasn't been what we had hoped. So I think they're still doing a pretty good job of recruiting, maintaining that connection, that commitment. And I think that these kids have seen enough that they know that the, the program's going in the right direction. But, you know, we all would love for it to be in a speedboat. It's more like a rowboat, but, you know, slow and steady, right? We're just the tortoise and the hare, however you want to say it. But it's just, and that is the hard part, you know, because it's just, you know, you just, your emotions get part, get, get the best of you because of your, your relationship and what Vanderbilt means to you. And, and you want to be like, can we just get to the the finish line? And you're like, well, we got a long way to go, man. I think this is a time where morale is going to really be challenged. And I see mixed things, and I apologize. I did a podcast with you, and I did one with Kevin Ingram, and I did the one with Kevin right before I did the one with you. I'm not sure what order I'm going to air them in yet, but in any case, if you've heard me mention this by now, or you hear me mention this with Kevin later, I was at practice Tuesday. I felt like morale was pretty good. Now, I did see him at his press conference Tuesday, though, obviously. You can see it on our YouTube channel at Vandy Sports. Clark looked pretty beaten down on Tuesday's press conference. Now, they've had the the well-documented off-the-field thing with Dan Jackson that I think has been very disheartening in a number of ways. They've also got the flu going through the team, and Clark was – coughing a little bit and drinking liquid. I'm guessing that's what that was because Clark has pretty well maintained a posture of, hey, our eyes are still looking forward and we're not going to get down and discouraged and let circumstances get us in the dump. But the stuff's starting to add up at this point and the games are getting a little less winnable by the week. Yeah, and I will say that, you know, when I watched the – Clark Lee press conference. I, I do. I will say that's the most uncomfortable, fidgety, um, get me out of here uh, scenario that I've ever seen from him. And well, I, and, and, and if and, I can interrupt you for a second, um, yeah, the one we did with him Sunday or Saturday night after the game was the first kind of contentious press conference he's had since he's been here. So I have to think that he is going to the podium with that weighing on him as well on Tuesday. Yeah, well, I mean, he's he's going, whether he wants to admit it or not, he's going to the podium with a little bit of a defensive posture because he knows, and it, it was, you know, even though he addressed it without before the first question was even asked, you know, about the Dan Jackson situation. And, but still the first question was, boom, Dan Jackson. And I understand why. And this is, I mean, I would, I would like to just say something in reference to that. And this is the hard part, you know, um, because we're coming off an election Tuesday, 
because a lot is really at stake, not just in the elections, but in our country right now. It's very, people are just so emotionally raw because of everything that's going on. And the outlandish stances that people are taking, regardless of what side of the fence you're on, it just, it almost seems like we're losing that common ground or the ability to even no, find no doubt. the smallest piece of I, I see it on my board all the time. And, and my board's a place where I kind of let people speak because I think free speech is kind of a lost thing. I, I'm not, I don't care if you've got an opinion that, that contradicts mine or not. I, I think the there's kind of a place for it, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's getting harder for people. And I think in the midst of it, um, you know, for, for the fan base too, the, the losing is piling up too, but it, it's, it's been yeah, but I, all, all that coming together has made it very tough on everybody right now. Right. And I think that people feel like when they're not being heard, they feel like they have to be a louder and more outlandish and more controversial when they make a statement so that it, it is heard, you know, but, my point about the Dan Jackson thing is, is that and I want to be very careful how I phrase this. I, my initial reaction was, is, you know, outside of the disappointment and the, like, you know, the, the frustration of crap, this is the last thing that Vanderbilt needs to be dealing with right now. I realized I, then I had to, you know, kind of regroup and I showed it to my wife and, you know, she obviously said, this is a, you know, um, a PR nightmare, but she said, you know, make sure that you're very careful about, cause I had to go back and I mean, I had to read it two or three times about what he because you know, I immediately had people emailing me that said, hey, this is your boy, you know, just for me, meaning it's just a Vanderbilt guy, you know, and others, what do you think about this? You know, some text messages, you know, so I had to, I had to literally read, you know, what he put up and, the, and what he put up was on Facebook, right? I believe it was. I think it was a grab screenshot from a conversation in Facebook somewhere. I don't know the full background. I didn't have a lot of time right. to go and, digging. You know, that. I think the one thing we have to say is, is and I this just just as this makes this very clear here, Chris. This is me speaking. This is not you speaking. This is not the university speaking. This is not Dan Jackson speaking. This is me speaking. Um. I think at, at, at this time, regardless of how it was worded, what exactly he said, the timing was was bad and was a huge mistake, number one. Number two, because of the position he's in, and not just because he's the defensive backs coach, but because he's a position of authority that you know kids look up to, you have to be very careful how you word things, statements that you put out. I mean, it's almost to the point where it's, it's unfair, but that's just kind of what comes with being in these positions. And, you know, we, 
outside of their statement being made that, you know, Dan's stepping back and taking a leave of absence, he hasn't had a chance and apologizing. He really hasn't had a chance. And I hate to use this term because now this makes him guilty, sound guilty, but he hasn't had a chance to defend himself yet and to really explain exactly what he meant. Have you, as I say that, I said, well, I better ask Chris, have you seen anything at length of an explanation, a reason, anything like that outside of a statement that he's taking time to, you know, reassess stepping away from the team. But have you seen anything outside of that from, from his standpoint or from him or anybody related to him? No, I, I haven't. And I suspect if there were a big smoking gun there, he would have been dismissed by now. That's about as far as I'm going to go. Um, yeah, and anyway. I think that we also just have to take it and let, as Clark said, it's frustrating as it is, is just let due process run its course because you don't want to rush to judgment in this situation because, you know, the last thing you want to do is make a mistake. And at the end of the day, what I've just said, what you may have said up to this point, what Clark has said, what the university has said, there's a no-win situation because you're always going to piss yeah. somebody off regardless of what you do. You're going to somebody's going to disagree with what your decision, and it's going to incite people. And but what you have to do is stand strong in what you truly believe in, make decisions with conviction, but also make sure you do your homework and you make an educated decision because of the impact it can have not only on you and a university but also on an individual and his family. Yeah, and to circle back to an item or two, they did come out with a pretty strong statement as soon as it happened, as soon as it went public on Friday afternoon. Um, I I suspect they thought that would – well, I'm not going to speculate on what they thought or didn't, but I'll just leave it at that. They did address it pretty quickly. It did get addressed – at the press conference on Saturday, it got addressed again on Tuesday. And I think at this point, yeah. people have their opinions one way or the other. But I think we can agree, and we'll put it to bed by saying this, the story is not over. The saga continues. And eventually Vanderbilt will have to come out and have a press conference where Candace, Deermeyer, and Clark address the media and answer, answer questions. Yeah, and one little piece of context, because most people don't know this, but we did get Candace off the record for about 20 minutes on Saturday. Another reporter made the request for her to address the media. She was in the room at the time. Uh, she said she'd not planned on it and then said she'd speak to us off the record, and, and that probably lasted, oh, I don't know, 20 or 25 minutes, and, and we were – we were asked to keep that confidential. I'll respect that. I did think she handled it well, and I'll just leave it there. All right. Well, good. That's, I think that's a, la- that's a good place to leave that. And considering we've got about uh, 10 to 15 minutes left, let's talk a little basketball, my friend. Yeah, I hear you played that once. <laughs> it's been a while, but yes. Well, where would you like to go? I don't know how much you've gotten to see of the game. This is, as you said, the time of the year where your schedule gets busy. Of course, Vanderbilt lost to Memphis on Monday night, never led in the game, uh, played a lot of freshmen. I know we talked off podcast. The Liam Robbins angle was one that you wanted to go into, and I'll just let you start wherever you'd like to start. 
Yeah, so I had an opportunity to, to catch uh, pieces of the game. I did not get an opportunity uh, to sit down and watch the game from start to finish. Um, but from what I saw, and then also, you know, statistics tell a lot, but there's also the eye test. But there's, it's a situation where it's, with the loss of Pippen, more so than anybody, obviously, you got to ask yourself, where do you get your offense from? Um, you know, what I didn't see at the moment in that game against Memphis was is somebody that had the ability consistently to create their own shot, whether it's a late-game situation, a late-shot clock situation, um, you know what I mean? So it was that to me is tough. It, it screams that in order for this team, the way it's constructed at the moment, to win games is they're going to have to do it with numbers, meaning with team effort, depth, as you said, playing freshmen. It is what it is. All right. You can use youth as it, as an excuse, or you can use it as a form of, you know, this is the direction we're going because we feel like that, you know, these guys are the ones, they are the future of this team, which I think is a pretty fair statement quite honestly. But I will say just, and this is just a big man speaking. When you struggle to shoot the ball from the perimeter, and I know, again, this is where statistics can be misleading. I've made a statement that they're struggling to shoot the ball. They shot 41% for the game. But you'll look and be like, well, let's look. They shot 40% from three. They went 10 of six, you know, well, sorry, whatever the number was. But the reason why they went they didn't shoot it well early. Ten of sixteen, yeah, they didn't shoot it well early. They went ten of sixteen in the second half. Okay, they got off to a really poor start, and that's why I'm. I don't know the answer to this. This is just us talking. Um, I personally, and I don't know what's going on behind closed doors. I'm assuming, unless it's otherwise, you know, mentioned that Liam Robbins is healthy. We know about his history, but he's healthy. But, you know, the one thing I've learned in, you know, playing in the NBA, calling these games, being an analyst, is that, you know, you have to put yourself in the best position to win. And unless there's something I'm missing, which there possibly could be, but again, it's kind of like you were talking about with Candace Lee behind office, off the record, whatever, you know, something that is just, you know, for you to maintain your integrity, you you can't say, I feel like Liam Robbins, because of the lack of outside shooting of this team gives them their best opportunity, you know, to, to win. So I, I, I don't quite understand, you know, listen, I know it was only one game, but why didn't he play more? Why didn't he start? You know, and let me throw something out there, Chris. The Laura Brown, am I saying that correctly? Yes. The thing I like about him is how active he is. I mean, he's constantly moving. He's he's occupying his man. You know, he just seems to be in the right place at the right time. Um, you know, he bails out 
a guard who gets himself in a bad position by making himself available and getting himself open. But unfortunately, he's not a guy that you can throw down in the post and throw him the ball and say, go to work. I think that if, you know, this continues to be the case and this team can't develop the outside shot early, you have to be able to get the ball down into the paint. And if you don't have a guy that can create his own shot and get by the initial line of defense and attack the paint via the dribble, you got to do it with the pass. And I think because of his size, you know, and strength, he gives Liam Robbins gives him their best chance. But, but I don't know, maybe he's not in shape. This is just, I'm just throwing stuff against the wall, but you know, in the short time that he did play, I think it was 17 minutes. He had seven points, three rebounds. I expect more rebounds in 17 minutes from him, but Melora Brown had four points, three rebounds. So, you know, it's just, and it's maybe that's just not the off the type of offense they run, but you also at the same time have to adapt your offense to your personnel. So I'm interested to see if and how things change in the Southern Miss game on Friday. And then after Friday, how things change against Temple on Tuesday, you know, and that's, that's the biggest, to me, the, the biggest point of contention in, as far as, okay, that seems to be somewhat of a strength that they may have. Why are we not using that strength? Why are we not leaning on that a little more? But I'm not in the huddle. I haven't talked to Jerry. I haven't been to practice. Any of that information. I just, you know, from watching the game, it just kind of, it's one of those things you're just like, hmm, you know, you're rubbing your chin going, I wonder. So it'll be interesting to see if and how things change as they approach, you know, again, Southern Miss on Friday. They've had a couple of days of practice. What do they change? How do they approach the game? And then you ask yourself, you know, how will they play? Yeah, this reminds me, and I I don't know if there's any similarities beyond it, but I think his first year, I remember talking to him in the summer, and he was talking about then bringing Saban Lee off the bench which I think they did. And Saban was pretty much their best offensive player going into the season and, of course, has played in the NBA since. I think that with Robbins, you could argue Jordan Wright's probably their best player. I don't know if he is or not. I think per minute it's Robbins. But to me, that that timeshare there is a little bit puzzling. I think that either Robbins gives you something offensively that Melora Brown does not – I don't know what their internal metrics on defense are. He may have his reasons. I'm not saying he doesn't. But the one thing you can quantify is block shots, and Robbins was leading the Big Ten or did lead the Big Ten in that two years ago. But I look at them, and I just see a team. I saw how hard it was for them to get looks against Memphis and yep. the lack of not having a Pippen, which we worried about. That That is legit. Ezra Manhone may be a, a good player for them, but he's not Scottie Pippen. And I think that the looks that Studi and Wright and a lot of guys got last year, you're going to find they're not there with the degree of ease that they were a year ago. And I'm just thinking if you're going to go that route, you're going to be banking on beating a lot of SEC teams 61-60. to 60. Yeah. Well, but there's, a, there's a term that they use at all levels. Ball movement, player movement. Meaning, as you talked about, because you don't have that guy that can create his own shot, that guy that can get into the paint and then pick and choose who he's going to throw to because he collapses the defense. You know, 
A, your screen roll offense becomes less effective, but B, you've got to be able to put yourself in a position to where, you know, you're popping that ball from one side of the floor to the next. You know, you got to get ball, the ball into the paint. You got to do it via the pass. And you got to, you know, keep the defense moving. And then you find that, and you, the saying is you make that extra pass where you go from an open shot to a wide open shot. And then that increases the chances of somebody making that, whether it's mid range, whether it's a three, you know, dramatically. So that's where you're going to have some of your growing pains and that's going to take a little time. But again, kind of like with football, okay, we saw the Memphis game, probably not the best team to open up against because they were much better, more athletic, but it kind of tells you where you are and the things you have to work on. So it, it did answer some questions for you. So now let's check out a lesser opponent than Southern than Memphis and, you know, see how you play and then temple. So, and I will say this, I, I do like their, uh, pre sec, uh, sec schedule. I thought last year was just, you know, had no pop, no sizzle, but also I don't think it gave them, um, much of a challenge as far as, you know, pushing this team, getting them ready for the sec. The one thing I think this schedule really does is, is we'll know a where they stand and it'll have them much more prepared, even though they may not be as talented as a team as they were last year. But let me just throw this out here. You know, there are some telling stats that again, it's only one game, but again, it's just, it's one of those things kind of like we were talking about football. When you talk about, you know, when you don't have a lot of room for error, right? In this game, Vanderbilt only had 22 points in the paint, where Memphis had 38. Vanderbilt only had four fast break points to where Memphis had 10. And those are, you know, areas where, okay, if you're going to struggle to get points in the paint, you've got to be able to push the ball. Then if you're going to be able to push the ball, and you can run off makes, but it's harder, but you've got to be able to make stops and limit your opponent you know, to, to one shot and one shot only. And also there's another, you know, uh, is Vanderbilt going to be, be a team that's opportunistic, meaning both teams had 13 turnovers, but Vanderbilt was only able to generate 11 points, meaning less than one point per turnover. Whereas Ole Miss was able to generate 18 points off Vanderbilt's 13 turnovers. I know it may not sound like much, but when you take all those numbers and add them up, you're like, yeah, now I understand, you know, how they lost by nine. And you can honestly, being down 19, they could have lost by a lot more. But that's a team that's resilient and a team that played hard and they fought. So, again, it's only one game, but now the Southern Miss game looms large because now you focus on the next game and it's a game technically they should win. But I think it's a, it's a better opponent than people think. So I'm, you know, anxious to see how they play and how they respond. Okay, I know your window of time is running out. I wanted to give you the chance to hit any topics that we didn't hit. I can't remember. We talked a while off podcast. I can't remember if we got into the Ingram Center on podcast or not, but any topics that are worth hitting before you've got to go, the floor is yours to bring those up. Yeah, so there's two two topics that I wanted to bring up towards the end because, you know, we're trying to – you know, we've been telling stories and different things like that. So, um, I want, I do want to give, um, 
the men's basketball program some credit. Um, I reached out to, and this was kind of like I was reaching out. She was, it was kind of like a timing issue. Adele Harris, who's the chief of staff for uh, men's basketball. We're in the process of hopefully gathering as many members as possible from the 1988 team that beat Pittsburgh and Nebraska in the NCAA tournament. Cause you know, Pitt is coming to, you know, we obviously played at Pittsburgh last year, but with that home and home that we're playing at Vanderbilt this year, that's the first time since, you know, that 88 season that Pitt's actually played Vanderbilt in Nashville. And I think that's December 7th. Is that correct? I believe it is. Yeah. So we're trying to get as many members as possible to come in for that game. Now, a lot of guys still live in Nashville, but, you know, myself, Scott Droud, Barry Goheen, you know, guys that I know of that hopefully, uh, you know, I'm in Chicago, Goheen's in Atlanta, Droud's in Northern Kentucky, uh, Charles Mays, uh, the last I remember was he was down in the panhandle of, of Florida, you know, Booker, Wilcox, Eric Reed, Steve Grant, these guys are all fairly local, um, Cornette, you know, everybody knows you know, and for his wife, but, um, you know, and I threw that out there as a jab, but hopefully we're going to get something <laughs> where, you know, I'll come in and we'll get a chance to go to practice, get to meet the team, uh, you know, have a nice dinner the night before, and then, you know, get everybody together for a little recognition during that game. So hopefully that'll help bring some fans out. And it, to me, it looked like they had a really good, uh, turnout for that Memphis game. But, you know, at the end of the day, you got to win games to keep them coming in. And then secondly, uh, as we close up this podcast, um, Barry Gohe, my former Commodore teammate, just came to Chicago um, yesterday. And yesterday would have been, um, I'm not sure when you're going to put this podcast out, but yesterday would have been November the 8th, as we're doing this podcast on the afternoon of uh, November 9th. Um, Those of you that are U2 fans, know that uh, Bono just wrote a, a memoir, which I have in front of me called Surrender, 40 Songs, One Story. And those of you that are U2 fans obviously know that uh, Bono will be at the Ryman tonight, again, Wednesday the 9th, to do his show. I can honestly tell you, I don't know the name of it, I even went to it last night in Chicago with Mr. Goheen, but he initiated it. He made the phone call. He asked if I'd be interested. I was able to obtain two tickets and we went last night and Mr. Goheen pretty much stood up a majority of the time because that's his, that's his jam right there. Music. And I always like to tell stories about other guys, but even at Vanderbilt, um, and Chris, maybe you can help me out with this. There was a uh, a used magazine record store. Oh, the Great Escape! Yes, yes, love that place. Barry Goheen could be found at the Great Escape almost all the time, and he just his love for music is unbelievable, and he's a huge U two fan. Barry and I together. I've been to um, two separate U2 concerts. We obviously went to Nashville back in 2011 
and we went to Louisville. Um, I don't know if it was the same year or a couple years. No, uh, a couple years ago when um, he was making that tour when it, uh, they played at uh, Papa John Stadium back when it was called Papa John Stadium in Louisville. And so he's just a massive U2 slash Bono fan. And when this was announced, he called me up and asked if we could get tickets. And I know he's, he uh, could not get tickets at Ryman because they sold out in a matter of seconds. So I was able to get some here. So we went last night and had a great time. And I have to admit, I went, I was kind of skeptical because I'm like, okay, so what is this? Is this a concert? He's like, no, it's, he's going to obviously talk about his book, but there's, the stories that he told I found were amazing. Um, he's obviously got a hell of a voice. He did a, an opera piece towards the end of the show. That was just, it did blew me away. But that's, that's what his dad was. His dad was, uh, Bono's dad was a tenor. And it was kind of like, he talked about the, the relationship. He kind of technically, I could you know, say, didn't have with his dad and, he care, you know, he did some stuff off the cuff and it was just, I'd have to say it was impressive. And, but that's just, that's Goheen's thing, man. He, you can, you can tell from the minute I picked him up at the airport on Tuesday morning, he was jacked. He was ready to go. Um, I mean, literally like when we were eating dinner, he had plenty of time. He's like, Hey, do we need to get checked? Do we need to get out of here? How far away is this place? How long is it going to take for us to walk there? So we had a great time and he took off today back to Atlanta, but that's just, that's one of the things that I will always say that I am thankful for of going to Vanderbilt is, you know, it did a lot for me from a professional standpoint, you know, via basketball because of my teammates and coach Martin and coach Newton and coach Bostic. Um, but also just the relationships that I made that, to this day are, you know, mean so much to me and, and, and literally, you know, outside of, you know, my wife being the most important person in my life and my son being second, you know, it's, and it's, it's hard to say whether they're first or second. That's like one and one a, but, um, you know, and, and probably the reason why I mentioned that is now is because my son's obviously off of college. Now he's a freshman in Miami of Ohio. So his need for me is a lot less than it used to be. And that's been hard for me to adjust to because I'm an only child and he's an only child. So, you know, we can, us only child can be very selfish. So he's just kind of doing his thing in Miami, Ohio. And I will brag on him and say he's doing very well with his grades. He's playing club lacrosse. Um, he's definitely um, mastered his social life. He's getting straight A's in that. But yet somehow, you know, doing well in school. So I'm very proud of him. But, you know, I just realized that now I just kind of got to pump the brakes. I got to back off. And that's why I I, pro I made that statement that my wife being the most important because, you know, I've had to lean on her a little more now than, you know, because when my son was in high school and grade school, you know, you obviously spent so much time with him. And now that's been taken away. And, and my wife actually appreciates the attention. So... You know, it's just one of those things, but it's just to go full circle. The friends that I've made at Vanderbilt that are so such a big part of my life and so important for my well-being and, you know, with text messages to phone calls to, you know, and again, 
you know, how much I'm looking forward to this game in uh, Nashville to seeing some of these guys I haven't seen in a long time, you know, will mean a lot to me. And I'm even going to the, and I'm very fortunate that uh, Vanderbilt is playing in uh, the legends. It's something, something legends classic here in Chicago on December 17th. And then Barry's going to be flying in with his wife and, you know, some other people. So, you know, we're all looking forward to going to that. So that's just, you know, I can just say that I, I have no ifs, ands, or buts that I made the right decision by going to Vanderbilt. And that's just, I, and then I think people realize that by how proud I am to say I went there, how I talk about it, the relationships I made, you know, but, and I know some people may question that because, you know, I can be, I can be critical, but also at the same time, I, I'm critical because I know how good Vanderbilt can be and I want them to live up to those expectations. Well, to tie it all together, uh, my first daughter was born a week before that U2 show, and my wife and I were at it because that was her favorite band. That was one of the few things we did that summer uh, where we actually got out to and, and go to things, and frankly, it's been that way ever since. Uh well, time to, to me, do stuff as a couple is few and far between. But it's funny you mention that because that was uh, I was not only at that concert, but you tied your kid into it, and, and ours had just been born. Yeah. So and and to round that out, um, there's just certain things that stick out, and that's I went with. It was again as soon as they posted their tour schedule, he calls and says, "Vanderbilt's playing in uh, Nashville in July." I remember the month. Boom. We, yeah. we got to go. We got to go. So we immediately bought four tickets. And it was myself, Barry Goheen, George Plaster, and one of our old assistant coaches, Mike Petroni. And you think about, and there's some age difference there. You know, because now Barry and I, you know, back then, you know, we were in our 40s. And now we're in our fifties, but yet there's, you know, a 20 year age difference between coach Petroni and us, you know, George Plaster is older than us, but just, you know, that's Barry always says it's, it's kind of ironic how music brings us together. And that was probably one of the best concerts. It was a great concert, but just who I was there with. And I, I just remember, you know, how hot it was. I'm sure you remember the same thing. I mean, we were just, yes. I just remember sweat just rolling down my legs and my, my, uh, arms. And, but, and, and a majority of that was is because we were dancing and singing and screaming and everything else. So that was, you know, with what, 53 other thousand people. So, you know, it wasn't just us, but there's just certain things and relationships that you have in life that mean a lot. And when you get an opportunity to spend time with those people, you know, you have to grasp that and, and, you know, really enjoy it. Well, Vanderbilt Sports has brought us together as friends, and, and thankfully it's brought you to the podcast, and I'm hoping uh, we'll be able to do one again in the next week or two. I know your schedule is touch and go, but we'll be in, in touch about that, and uh, hopefully we'll have some better subject material next time we do. Yep, and just to close it out, I know I've said that twice now, uh, going as we're taping this texted me and it's now landed in Atlanta. And he said he was able to get about 80 pages into, uh, the book that as we, as you walked in last night, they handed to you. So what I, I, what I'm disappointed is it can't, I mean, could you at least just like sign 
B-O-N-O real quick in all the books? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, books books are another thing that I have no time for, but um, it's so, it's that time of the year where well, basketball and football overlap. So, yeah. You're a busy man, but I appreciate you taking time. I enjoyed it. Um, good luck to uh, the Commodores on Saturday against Kentucky, and also good luck to the basketball team against Southern Miss on Friday. Thanks, Will. We'll see you soon. All right. You got it, Chris. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, vandysports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at vandysports.com. Follow me at chrislee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.